You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Hi, Lord. Thanks for um, thanks so much for loving us and dying for our sins. And um, God, I uh, pray that this class that it would honor and glorify you. I pray, God, that it would also help us to live in just the rest and peace um, of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that um, you would just teach us to listen to you and to um, to follow you as the good shepherd. So trust you, God. Ask your prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, this is the final class of the series that we've been doing um, about the fear factor in parenting. And, um, you know, I think I, I did, a, I think I told you all, I've said this at the beginning of, of every class, but I do this kind of, it's almost like a study every year where I, I'll ask, you know, like 25 teenagers, what's it like to be a teenager these days? And ask about school and technology and, you know, relationships with parents and social media and partying, just, you know, the whole, whole thing. And um, it was really interesting. Um, just uh, one thing I could sense is that their kids can feel that their parents are really afraid. Um, and they, a lot of them talked about how um, it seems like they talked about how um, uh, they feel like they're constantly being watched, constantly under surveillance, feel like um, their parents are kind of freaking out all the time. And um, and so here's the thing is like, if that's the case for a parent, then it's pretty reasonable given where you live today. Like this, this is, you know, we live at the, one of the biggest inflection points in human history. Um, with the dawn of the internet and social media and um, smartphones and all these different things. And if you just think about how much easier it was for, you know, I grew up in the 1980s and 90s, and you think about how much easier it was to parent back then than it was today. It's not to say, you know, obviously the world's always been broken. It's not like it was Little House on the Prairie or Mayberry in the 80s or the 90s or the 40s and the 50s. You know, like sin is sin and the world's broken. Um, there are threats and risks, and that's just that's just life, right? And you know, like you know, our our parents didn't have to deal with you know what's Snapchat, or um, didn't have to deal with you know didn't have to deal with the internet. I'm not, the first. There's the man, great looking blazer, looking outstanding. It's not it's not even a fair man. That handsome should have clothes that are that are that dazzling. But anyhow. Yeah, so it is, it is harder to parent today than it was then. There are new challenges that no generation of parents have ever had to face. And so if you're, if you're fearful, um, it's, you should give yourself some grace to know that like, you know, you're playing with live ammo, you're having to deal with questions and challenges that no generation of parents have ever had to deal with. And it does feel too like, you know, since we're so early in this inflection point that, it's like every three years, it's a new set of challenges. And so all that to say, like, um, I think it's very reasonable that parents are afraid. Um, and the promise of the promise of the gospel and the promise of the Lord God is that we don't have to live in fear. He says repeatedly throughout the Bible, do not fear, uh, for I am with you. And so, so we've looked at a number of different um, fears. And one I, I want to look at today, and I think this is one that is um, pr- particularly prominent for parents in our, um, hey, there's a, there's a worksheet over there. Um, that's particularly prominent for parent, for suburban parents is the, the fear that you're shortchanging your kids. The fear that you're not putting them in the best position to succeed or 
you're not calling the right plays, and that's going to affect their their future success. And um, and yeah, there's just feels like there's tons of tension and conflicts on this. And you know, I, I can remember this is this is my 17th school year to be at the Advent. December the 15th will be my yeah 17th anniversary of my first day of work here. And um, I can remember early on, kind of not you know I was young. I was just a kid trying to make it honest in the world. <laughs> you know, but when I started working here, I was 25. Didn't have, you know, no girlfriend, no kids. Um, you know, very, very sheltered life. I'd grown up in Mountain Brook and then went to Wake Forest, which is Mountain Brook on steroids. Uh, yeah, I taught in the inner city. That lasted a, a whopping nine weeks. And, um, but anyhow, and so I would, it would be interesting how I'd have parents call me kind of in a, you know, very afraid or very concerned and I just like was like, why is this a big deal? Uh, an example would be there was a parent. They had a seventh grader. It was their first child, young parent. And um, their child was a little bit overwhelmed. And they were thinking about pulling their kid out of like one advanced class. Like their kid had all advanced classes. And they were like, I'm thinking about taking him out of advanced math. But, and then there was this spiral of fear. And I was like, just take him out of math. Like, what's the big deal, you know? And there was also, um, I don't know if this is still the case, uh, but there used to, I, I call it third grade math gate. Um, so basically, there used to be this situation where when you're, and give me, give me a nod if this is still the case, but there used to be this situation in the Mountain Brook school system where they would start the advanced math track in the third grade. And so... In second grade, if your child was kind of on the borderline, there was so much angst and so much anxiety because, because if your child wasn't in advanced math, but then when you got to seventh grade and they hadn't been taking advanced math, then they were going to have to take zero period math where they would do math, they would start school at seven in the morning and they basically do two years of math in one year to get back up to the advanced track because, and if you didn't do that, da -da -da -da, your child would not be able to take calculus BC AP in their senior year. And like, I'm saying that kind of joking around, but here were second grade parents and this was like a common feeling of like, oh my goodness, here is my child about four years removed from potty training and diapers, um, and I'm having to make this decision in the second grade that has ramifications for their college resume or their future in 12th grade, you know? And so parents are ultimately facing this fear of like, if, if I don't push my child forward or, you know, whatever, then I'm going to be shortchanging my kid. You know, I'm going to be compromising their opportunities to be successful, uh, you know, in life. And so, um, and I just like really didn't get that. Well, I thought it was kind of silly. Well, then, you know, here comes the real life. Reality is a real bruiser. And I'm a parent now. And um, <laughs> sure did a lot of judging before I had kids. Uh, not anymore. So, you know, my, uh, my, child, um, my child in kindergarten played baseball. And, uh, and, you know, we played baseball and it was fun. And I'm like real, you know, real wary of like overscheduling. And so he gets, you know, asked to participate in like the second season, like the all-star season. And they're like, yeah, they'll be out four nights a week. I'm like, heck, no, we're not doing that. Like, we're not, we're not, no, 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 not going to do that. 
So we don't do it, and um, I don't even think about it. Well, then, you know, fall baseball comes around, and, like, there are these kids who are, like, really good, you know, and they're, they've got, like, great skills, and, and, you know, my poor little fella is, is you know, not, not he, has, he has not had the benefits of, like, the all-star season and the summer season, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I am the worst parent in the world. Like, here, my child is batting last. No, no, he, he, he actually had a great season. He did just fine. Um, he came around. But, um, but, and there's that self-doubt. You know, there's that self-doubt of, like, oh, my goodness. Like, because I didn't call the right plays, and because I didn't, um, because I didn't call the right plays, and I, like, you know, didn't kind of buy in and do the extra things, then my child now is going to have a complex because they're batting, you know, seventh or eighth in the lineup or because they're not as skilled as other kids. And, and anyhow, and so there is this re- very real, and then, hey, this is a first world problem, you know, this is a first world problem, but it's very real, but it's very real. And it causes, I feel like it causes a great deal of anxiety for parents. And I think it drives, sometimes drives us to make decisions out of fear that can really compromise like the overall welfare Overall welfare of the family, particularly the, the connectedness of the family. Um, yeah, particularly, I think it's a lot of what drives the overscheduling that tends to have a major impact on teen anxiety, teen depression, those kind of things. And so we're going to look at, we're going to look at this, um, um, we're going we're gonna to look at this, you know, fear of shortchanging our kids. And like, I'm just going to tell you the end of the story. Like the end of the story is... What we want to do is we want to parent our kids letting Jesus as the good shepherd lead us step by step. That's going to be the end of the story for this class, is how do we get to a place where we're not operating out of fear, but instead we're just saying, Jesus, you know, what's the next step? Does my kid need to take the advanced math class in third grade? Does my kid need to do the second season of baseball? Do we need to get the extra coach? You know, all these kind of things that we're not doing out of fear, but instead we're doing it out of... Um, just out of obedience to what Jesus, to Jesus' discretion. And his, his discretion is someone who loves us and who's omniscient, who knows our children, who knows, our, who knows us, knows our world, and knows their whole future. He's got, he has all those assets we do not. And so that's, that's where we're going to try to get. So quick review, um, review the basic concept of talking about good fear versus bad fear. So good fear, biblically speaking, um, and this is on your notes, and if you didn't get a worksheet, we have a worksheet over there on the table, um, I, by the way, uh, caveat, I, I, just, I just printed out my notes. Uh, two kids with the flu, dad with the flu, father-in-law with the flu. Um, just didn't get the pretty version. Y'all don't get the pretty vision. It's raw. Um, but anyhow, so good fear. Good fear is basically where we praise and adore and revere God. That's good fear. And good fear is based in a true view of who God is, that he's holy and that he's just and that he loves us and that he's pure um, it's, it leads us to trust God and to give up control. Um, it leads us to draw close to the Lord. And good fear ultimately enables us to make decisions out of peace and wisdom. Now, bad fear is, uh, is where we are afraid of God. Um, we are terrified of God. Now, that's not something that we necessarily cognitively are kind of recognizing and saying. Um, but but at the heart level, we are afraid of God. And so bad fear is based out of a false view um, of who God is. Notes are over on the table if you'd like to get them. Um, or based on a false view of who God is. He's not good. He's not for us. We can't trust him. Um, bad fear leads us to seize control. 
and to try to micromanage everything. And it also leads us to withdrawal from the Lord. Um, and bad fear um, leads us to make decisions out of haste, um, out of doom, and out of fear. And so we don't want that. And so, um, so the, the, the aspect of the character of God that we really kind of dial down into and that we really want to emphasize in this class is the sufficiency of God. So in the Old Testament, there are different names of the Lord, and one of those is El Shaddai. El Shaddai is a name of God. Um, by the way, there is a book that I've been, I've been reading this semester called um, Trusting in the Names of God by Catherine Martin. Uh, one of my men's Bible studies, we're going to do it next semester. Great book, by the way, especially on this topic, because it really emphasizes the character of God. But El Shaddai means God my completion, or God my sufficiency, or God my more than enough. And so what we're going to see here is that um, what we really need to trust is that God, God is, he, he is sufficient for your child. He's sufficient for us, for what you really want for your child. So first thing we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20. And this is a story that I just love because it, the same issues that we are struggling with are right here on the page. And so, um, so I'll, I'll read. It says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. And she knelt respectively to ask a favor. Jesus said, What is your request? He asked. And she replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Okay. So here is mom going down to the coach's office <laughs> and saying, Hey, look, Johnny is really talented. And I think he should be the starting quarterback this weekend. That's, that is le- legitimately what is happening here. Because what she's asking for, this sounds, might sound spiritual. You know, I want them to be, she is not thinking in spiritual terms. She is thinking purely in material terms. She's thinking, okay, Jesus is going to be a political leader. Um, he's going to deliver Israel from the Romans. We're going to be back in power, back in the game. And basically what she's saying is, hey, Jesus, don't forget James and John. They've been around. When you're thinking about who your VP is going to be and who's going to be the Secretary of Agriculture, James and John, top of the list. That's what she's asking. And so, um, and so here's, she feels this need to promote her kids. She feels like it's her job to dictate or secure her child's future. And so she goes to Jesus um, she goes to Jesus really more as a person than she does recognizing that Jesus is the son of God. And so what we, another thing we can see here is that there's an idol at play. And, and so a lot of times this um, short cha- you know, fear of shortchanging, a lot of cultural idol. Hey, um, uh, there's, a, there's a worksheet over there for you. There's a, um, there, cultural idols are in play. And so we kind of think that what our child needs is, what our child needs is to be successful or to be financially secure down the road. Um, or to be important, to be significant. And so really, you know, at our, in our heart, what we really want is we want our children to be satisfied. You know, we want our children to be happy. We want them to flourish. And so unfortunately, like a product of our, of our sin naturally is that we tend to think that idols will satisfy our kids. Because guys, let's think about this. Let's think about the position of James and John. James and John spend every single day in the flesh with the Lord God. Like they are being personally one-on-one discipled and led and cared for by 
the Lord Jesus Christ, that, you know, the promised Messiah. And yeah, they had, and human, humanly speaking, probably aside from Mary and Joseph and maybe Jesus' siblings, they have the closest, you know, face-to-face relationship with Jesus Christ of anyone who ever lived. But their mom, Salome, she doesn't believe that that's enough. She's like, that's good. But really what they need is to have some power and to have financial security and to be important. And that will actually satisfy. So that's what's driving, that's what's driving her behavior. And so the, um, so Jesus comes back and he says, you, you, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? And, and she says, oh yes, they replied, we are able. Um, and Jesus told them, you, in, you will indeed drink my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or left hand. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And so essentially Jesus is saying like, you just really don't, you don't understand. You just don't get it. Because, you know, Jesus is saying actually the way to life is going to be to follow me and it's going to involve a lot of suffering. And actually like difficulty and failure and, um, uh, and disappointment are all going to be a part of your story towards eternal life in this life, abundant life in this life. And he's, he's just saying you're, the way you're thinking about this is, 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 is upside down. Um, because his, his the, Jesus' way, the ways of the kingdom are t- and the way of the cross and the resurrection is totally countercultural. It's totally counterintuitive to what we think makes us happy. I think what will make me happy is to be comfortable, to get what I want, um, to have plenty of money to never have to worry about bills, um, you know, to, for everyone to tell me just how wonderful I am, um, for my children to do whatever I want them to do. Basically, I think that what's going to make me happy is for me to be in control and for me to be the center of the world and for me to be praised in the way that God should be praised. And, and that actually is the pathway to self-destruction, misery, and isolation. Um, and so, so anyhow, so the first part of this as we think about shortchanging our kids is we need to do self-inspection um, of our own idols and also ask ourselves the question, what is actually going to satisfy my child? And, you know, we can see here that it would seem as clear as day, like, hey, your kids have got a good gig. Don't mess this up, mom. Uh, they are so close to Jesus. But, you know, it's, but it's, it's hard for us to see this too, right? Um, I, know, I, I know it's hard for me to see it. And so I want to go to a second text here. Um, and this text is, sorry, the, let me, to, to, to land that plane, the big point there is what is ultimately going to satisfy your child is a dependent, intimate relationship with Jesus. That's what's going to ultimately satisfy your child. And so, so we, not, not idols, not, not the idols of the culture, um, but that. And hey, if God blesses them in, in all those different ways, that's awesome. Praise God. That's a real blessing of this life, and we thank God for that. But we want to say the primary thing that will satisfy them is Jesus. All right, so second thing, Luke 18, 9 through 14. This is a text that you might be familiar with. You're going to see my notes loud and clear here. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, starting in verse 9, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed in this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so the thing that I want to kind of point out and emphasize here is you look at the, um, you look at the Pharisee. And the Pharisee is very righteous. You know, he's trusting in his, in his own righteousness. And you notice the key line here is, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. And so the deal here is he's doing more than what the law actually requires. You know, the law says you only need to fast one day a year. In the Old Testament law, it's the day of atonement, just once a year. And so there were some Pharisees and what they would do is they would, basically add to the law so that they could kind of look extra pious. And so he's saying, I, 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 fast, I fast twice a week, Monday and Thursday. That was, that was what Pharisees would do. And then he says, I give tithes of all that I get. So Old Testament law only, only mandated that you would tithe certain, certain parts of the harvest or certain parts of what came in. Um, and what Pharisees would do is they would, they would like tithe their herbs. This literally, this is not, this is not an exaggeration. They would like they would tithe herbs because that wasn't required by the law. And that was a way that they could like kind of do more to be extra pious. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is there are two reasons. One is, um, one is that, shoot, two reasons. Let's see, what long, long week. Um, come on. Oh yeah, okay. So a lot of this in our parenting is we feel the need to justify ourselves. Um, that's really, that's kind of our, our MO in life as sinners, is we feel the need to save ourselves, to justify ourselves that through our performance, um, we make ourselves enough. You know, like, okay, hey, I did this and this and this, and that means that I'm okay. And so that comes out of this, you know, deep, deep, you know, spiritual existential realization that we feel like we're unworthy and that we need to do something to be worthy. And we become worthy not through performance. That's, that's the nature of our sin is to try to become worthy out of our, out of our performance. We become worthy through the grace of Jesus. Like we become worthy through, we become enough through the forgiveness of our sins and receiving the righteousness of Jesus. That's what makes us enough. And so as a result, we don't need to justify ourselves. However, there's probably no role, no hat that you will wear in life um, more so than being a parent where you will feel the need to justify yourselves. And, and unfortunately, the, the very, very tough thing about that that can become really toxic, and, and man, I feel it, is that means that now your child is an instrument of your ultimate justification. And so your child's performance is now a reflection or an indictment on whether or not you will be justified as a parent. And so if you're, you know, you've tried to be a good parent and they're making bad decisions, you are pissed off at them because, come on, man, like I've done my part. You got to do yours. Um, or, you know, or your child, you have a kid who's a, really a great kid. Man, what a curse to any parent who has a first child who's like perfectly compliant because you just get, you get so self-righteous and you're like, yeah, we got this parenting thing. We got this. Um, but, but then when your child's, you know, a star, you're like, yeah, we're, we're pretty awesome, right? And, and so either way, it leads you to relying on yourself for, to, you know, to relying on yourself and your performance to justify. And so you can see that's what, that's what is going on with the, uh, hold on a second. Yeah, that's what's going on with the Pharisee. Their whole MO 
was they lived to justify themselves. And they would even, they would even change the laws to make them easier so that they can do that. Whereas the law, a first function of the law is to show us our need for grace, to show us that we can't justify ourselves, that we need the grace of Jesus. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that's exactly what I kind of stood out to me in these interviews that I did, is that kids could feel the fear and the anxiety projected on them via their parents. So, so that's why we authentically want to come to a place of peace in our relationship with God as we parent. Because um, like you said, kids are, I mean, kids, kids are really, they have really good sensors. They can pick up on stuff. So the first thing is that, you know, we have our need to justify ourselves. The second thing is that, um, you know, in the Bible, when you look at what is the calling of a parent, like what is it that God calls us to do? There really isn't anything about cultivating your child for professional success. Um, every, really everything about parenting in the Bible, it just centers around your child's character. Um, it centers around, you know, there's some things about provision, about, you know, try to feed your kids. Um, but almost everything is focused on teaching them and the ways of the Lord, um, disciplining them, you know, when they, when, and as a means of teaching them, uh, teaching them how to live a godly life. It's really all focused on uh, character. And what you see is there are, there are so many things, you know, that the world has, um, so many things that the world has suggested that qu- qualify a good parent. There's this definition the world has, you know, that you have, you know, set your child up for success and um, they're, uh, they've had every opportunity to be a great athlete or to get into a good college or, you know, they know they've been taught how to handle money and they've been taught this and all these kind of things. And it's like extra laws, extra laws that the Lord does not put on us. Um, yeah, and that it feels, it feels a lot. Of, and, and, you know, this is, you know, on the Pharisees' part, this was like deliberate. On our part, it seems like um, we just have so much, there's just so much pressure, so much pressure on parents to do all of these things that really are way beyond what God calls us to do, you know? And um, I, I, y'all, y'all may have heard me say this. I've been saying this a lot at these all, all in Mountain Brook. Um, but I say... Um, something we should all think about is raising media, highly well-adjusted mediocre kids. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just something to think about. You have a child who, you know, they felt loved in their home and, you know, you try to build a relationship with them and did your best to try to, you know, to instill good godly character. And then after that, like maybe they're kind of mediocre, but they're really well-adjusted. <laughs> and so, but hey, you know, that, that's, that's just something I don't feel like suburban parents feel like they have permission to think about. I feel like it's, it's like the natural trajectory that is put on us really by the world is no, 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 no. Like the baseline is that you do everything to enable, enable your child to be 
a Supreme Court justice or a partner at Goldman Sachs. And anything below that is failure. And so, so a, a thing that I think is, well, let's, let's juxtapose, well, we'll juxtapose this in a second. But a question to ask yourself as you're feeling pressure to be the perfect parent, you know, like whatever it may be, to dress your children perfectly for church or the Christmas Eve service, you're feeling the pressure, you know, whatever the pressure is to get them the right clothes or the right tennis shoes, whatever it is, is to ask yourself the question, where does it say in the Bible that I have to do this? Where does it say in the Bible that our kid's hair has to be perfect on Christmas Eve? Where does it say in the Bible that I have to get my child everything they want for Christmas? Where does it say in the Bible that I have to do the extra Dorian dance clamp so my kid will be in the funnel to make whatever the dance thing is, the junior high, whatever it is. Um, ask yourself that question. Where in the Bible does it say that? Because what God calls us to is actually way, way more freeing and way easier than what the world is putting on you. And it's just a good way to just go, to take a deep breath. And just say, like, you know what, like, I am not biblically mandated to do this. Hey, it may be a good thing, and we'll look, at, we'll look at that in a second. But, like, I just want you to feel an incredible sense of freedom that you're not obligated to buy in to all the pressure that you feel from the world. Um, so, when we look at the tax collector, you know, who's like the paradigm of the worst of the worst sinners, the tax collector comes, and he beats his breast, he's contrite, He's broken. Look, he's standing far off. He, uh, he's a mess. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And he says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so basically, uh, what, why the tax collector is such a good model for us in this whole parenting endeavor is like, it's hard, and it's scary, and we, ju- we feel totally inadequate and totally ill-equipped, and so we want to go the route of the tax collector, and where we just sit before the Lord, and we say, hey, Lord, I-, I have no idea. I have no idea. I feel like I'm the worst parent. I feel like I'm totally sh- shortchanging my kid. I'm like, Lord, where do I go from here? And that's, that's, that is where Jesus wants us. That all, he is using all circumstances, the work of the Holy Spirit in all our circumstances to get us to a place where every day we're just like, Jesus, you're the shepherd, I'm the sheep, just tell me what's the next step. And he promises to speak to us. He, you know, he, that, might, that might be through other people, that might be through peace in your heart, that might be through the word, it might be he just genuinely speaks to you. But he promises that the sheep hear his words and he calls his own sheep by name. The sheep obey his words because they know his voice. He says, uh, the, the sheep... Come on, Big C, you got it. The sheep, uh, the sheep hear my voice, and I know my sheep. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and no one will ever snatch them from my hand. That's John ten, and so um, and so yeah, that's where we're looking to get. And notice that the tax collector is justified. Justified means it's two parts: your sin is forgiven, and you've received the righteousness of Jesus, such that you're enough. The way that we talk about being justified to kids is it's this realization that you're totally enough before God. You're totally worthy through Christ. And so there, there's nothing more that you need to do. And so that's the place we want to parent out of. Real, uh, parenting out of the realization of our justification. You're enough. You're enough. 
You're accepted by God through the merits of Christ. You're enough. And just just try to faithfully follow the good shepherd. So, um, now, by the way, I don't want to be naive. I don't want to be naive. I know that we got to, you know, we got to like feed our kids. And, um, and, you know, there's realizations of like, hey, your kid might be struggling in school and you need to hire a tutor. That's a good thing, you know? Um, or your child might just be, have God-given abilities, whether that's in sports or in school or in drama or music. And prayerfully, you just, you just um, prayerfully you realize that, yeah, this is, this is something that's good for my child, like to pursue this. But you're not doing it out of fear. You're not doing it out of fear of shortchanging your kid. You're not doing it out of worship of idols. You're doing it just out of obedience to the Lord. And something that was really helpful for me was um, there's an awesome, awesome uh, parent in this church. Their kids are um, in their 20s now. And their child was really, really good at softball. They were really into travel softball. And, um, and I asked him about that. Just you know, tell me about that because it seems like that's really demanding. And I was like, my worst nightmare is one of my kids is a good enough athlete that we have to do travel something. <laughs> it really is. I just, Lord, send me children who are uncoordinated. No. Um, and he said, you know, we prayed about it. And hey, that's it. Started with prayer. Started, you know, with engaging the Lord. And he said, um, I just decided that my daughter and I, we don't get along super well in the group, but one-on-one we get along really well. And so, you know, for this period of time in adolescence where we knew that it was going to be hard to get along, my wife and I just prayed about it, and we decided we were going to do travel softball, and I was going to be really involved. And, like, not every weekend, but many weekends of the year, it would be him and his daughter in the car on these long road trips, and he said, I don't know how I would have ever connected with my child if it hadn't been for those one-on-one road trips and those, you know, staying at the hotels and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you know, we, it was, that was the best, probably the best parenting opportunity of my whole, of my whole adulthood. But the, the key thing there is it was, it was born out of, we're going to pray about it. And he was thinking it wasn't, it wasn't about like fear of shortchanging my kid or ego or anything like that. It was like, this is an opportunity where I can spend time with my kid and I can pour into my child's life. And that would just happen to be the vehicle. So, yeah, I don't want to create this, you know, this totally naive illusion that we don't have. You know, Jesus, in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom, uh, stature, favor with man, favor with God. So he grew physically, he grew intellectually, he grew socially, and he grew spiritually. And so some people say that's a, w- that's a way to think about different realms of parenting. So, like, Mary and Joseph, like, they, ha- they did have to think about those different realms of parenting. Um, and we just do that with Jesus leading it. So last thing here, applications, questions to ask. Here are questions to ask. Where in the Bible does it say that I have to do X for my child? I went over that a bunch, but that's a good thing to go back to. Next question, what am I afraid of? Like if you're feeling that pressure, oh, what are we going to do? Just ask the question, what am I afraid of? You know, what? Go. let yourself go all the way down the slippery slope. I always say the slippery slope to where uh, my, my, no, don't say it. Go all the way down the slippery slope to your worst nightmare and be like, oh, this is, this is the fear. You know? Yeah, sure. Um, I think one thing that I find it extra challenging about this, you know, you've got praying and relying on God to not have idols and that pressure drive parenting. Like, let's mm-hmm. do all your baseball, whatever. And then on the other side, I think the Christian and what we go call to do also is be countercultural in ways of like, 
it can actually take a lot of time and deliberation. You know, yeah. Video games or letting my kids go hang out and do this that I don't think. So it's like in those respects, yeah, right. if you're doing what you're supposed to do as a Christian, yeah. you're kind of already being like, sorry kids, you're not getting to do what everybody else gets to do. No question, yeah. You know, and it's yeah. I mean, I guess the advice would be yeah yeah i think that wisdom uh is, is one of the most helpful categories when we think about parenting because wisdom is like where there's no black and white uh there's no black and white um answer in the bible you know like it's pretty clear you know should i uh should i join in my child in selling drugs no you shouldn't do that like that's the, like no no ambiguity there but like should my kid, should my child be involved in this activity or should I let them go over to that person's house or whatever? That's, that's where you kind of operate off of, off of biblical principles, but you really kind of have to pray because pray for God's wisdom on like, because wisdom is like by definition, a skill in living, a skill in making the right moves according to God's word and according to the, um, according to the movement of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And so, yeah, that's, that's where it's hard, but you're right. You will, if you're following Jesus, you naturally will be countercultural in ways, you know? Doesn't mean you have to be a total freak show uh, who's totally antisocial. But yeah, there will be a natural, um, uh, natural uh, counterculturalism. Um, another question asked, what is the idol at play? It's very helpful for you to know your own idols. Um, particularly the idols that you, you know, for me, school was a huge idol when I was in, when I was in school, oh, in graduate school, oh, in seminary, <laughs> which I finished when I was 38. So yes, idol lifelong. Um, and so I need to be really, really suspicious of myself when it comes to my kids and their academics. And then finally, at the end of the day, just trust the Lord by praying about each step and, and decision in your child and family's life. That's it. That's really the bottom line is we don't want to operate out of fear. We don't want to operate out of obligation. We don't want to operate uh, in obedience to idols. We just want to listen. We just want to pray and listen to Jesus. And, um, and he's faithful to help us with that. It's not easy. It takes a lot of repentance um, and takes patience. But that's, that's the bottom line. So that's all I got. Uh, why don't I pray for us? If anybody wants to stand around the water cooler and chitty chat, happy to do so. Uh, Father, Father, thank you for, um, uh, thank you so much just for the justification that you've given us that we, we do not have to prove ourselves or save ourselves or justify ourselves through our parenting or through our parents or through our, through our children. And God, just refresh us with that every day. Help us, let that be the, um, let that be kind of ground zero that we operate out of. And Father, um, thank you so much that we have children and that we've been blessed with that. And I pray that you would just free us to enjoy our kids, to enjoy, our, to enjoy that relationship. Just enjoy the seasons and not be afraid. And, um, and yeah, Father, I pray that your voice um, would be very, very clear to each one of us. So trust you, ask your prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.